Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a five-part series I am running on The Bard and Compliance, How Shakespeare Informs Your Compliance Program. I recently completed the study of some works from Shakespeare from the Teaching Company. The Teaching Company is one of the top organizations in the United States which provides first-rate college professors lectures, both in audio and video, on a wide variety of subjects. So, for instance, on Shakespeare, Peter Saccio has Shakespeare, the word and the action. Mark Connor has how to read and understand Shakespeare. And then one of my personal favorites, once again, Dr. Peter Sashio, Shakespeare, Comedies, Histories, and Tragedies. If you're a lifelong learner like I am, you will greatly enjoy The Teaching Company. You can check out all of The Teaching Company courses at theteachingcompany.com. In this special five-part series, we're going to take a look at Shakespeare's Problem Place. We begin with All's Well That Ends Well in Compliance Resilience. We go on to Troilus and Cressida and Farce in Compliance as Tragedy. In Episode 3, we take a look at Measure for Net Measure and Creating a Game Plan. In Episode 4, we consider A Winter's Tale and Terminating a Third Party. And finally, we conclude with Timon of Athens and the Men Mob. I know you will enjoy this series as much as I've enjoyed producing This is Tom Fox. Shakespeare in Compliance is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Episode 2, Troilus and Cressida and Farce in Compliance as Tragedy. We continue our consideration of Shakespeare's problem plays with Episodes 2 offering on Troilus and Cressida as an introduction to problems in compliance. Yesterday, we considered all's well that ends well as a way to introduce why a corporate compliance function must be resilient. Today, we consider Troilus and Cressida and how the title character was portrayed as a fool, but the main action is around the death of other characters. The title characters of this play are not the main story, which takes place during the Trojan War. Troilus loves Cressida, who are, and they are both Trojans. Unfortunately, Cressida is exchanged for another Trojan who has been captured by the Greeks. This part of the play concludes with Troilus going into battle in a very frenzied manner. Shakespeare seems to portray him as a hot-headed fool in love, but yet he does not die. The main action of the play, however, involves the Trojans, King Priam, and his oldest son Hector. On the Greek side, it is Agamemnon and Achilles, with minor appearances by Ajax and Patroclus. It is the, both the story of Hector and Achilles being lured out into an ultimate battle. Achilles only does so after his lover, Patroclus, is killed by Hector. There's a lot of death in this part of the play, yet most of the commentators do not see it as an anchor to categorize Troilus and Cressida as a tragedy. Of course, there are many deaths, including Patroclus and Hector, yet these come in honorable battle. In, it, in this play, Shakespeare sacrifices the tragic form as it sets characters in a normative direction in favor of tragedy of thought. Unfortunately, we have seen this tragedy play out in the victims of uh, Larry Nasser go to a new level when Michigan State Interim President John Engler said on the record that there are lots of people who are touched by this, survivors who haven't been in the spotlight. In some ways, they have been able to deal with this better than the ones who've been in the spotlight and who are still enjoying that moment at times. You know, the awards and the recognition. It's ending and almost done. 
this comment was immediately jumped upon by several commentators, including former Olympian Nancy Hogshead Marker, chief executive officer of Champion Women, an organization advocating for women's and girls in sports, and a civil rights lawyer who immediately retweeted, right, women get raped for attention. Just another way victims are discounted. Yet this fool, clothed as tragedy, came out from Engler once again. As Dale Murphy, writing in ESPN.com, said, Engler's tenure as Michigan State University president is at the end. It's not the first time Engler has played the fool in this horrific tragedy. He has consistently attacked, belittled, and demeaned the victims of Nasser's abuse. Kim Kozlowski, reporting in the Detroit News last summer, said calls mounted for interim President John Engler to resign from MSU in the wake of emails suggesting that the first gymnast to publicly accuse Nasser of sexual abuse might get a kickback from her attorney from manipulating other victims. <coughs> Engler has also led to the destruction of any goodwill MSU may have engendered by his commitment to compensate victims with a $500 million pool of money. Matt Kelly writing in Ad- Radical Compliance said, the crisis at MSU is foremost a crisis of mistrust. People tried raising alarms about Nasser for years, and MSU leaders didn't listen. And today everyone is skeptical that the university will start listening. Considering the smear Engler made against a victim only a few months ago, the skepticism is not unfounded. Even worse than simply uh, being a fool by making inane statements, Michigan State has fought the state of Michigan's investigators who were tasked with getting to the bottom of the school's mishandling of the sexual abuse carried out by Nasser. Special Counsel Bill Forthsight blasted MSU for the alleged allegedly trying to sabotage the state-ordered probe, which comes in the wake of Nasser's conviction of, for decades of sex crimes he committed while working in East Lansing. The biggest concern by this university was the reputation of the university, and it was waging needless battles over pertinent documents, asserting attorney-client privilege when it did not apply. Both then and now, Michigan State has fostered a culture of indifference towards sexual assault, motivated by its desire to protect its reputation. The school employed a protectionist tactic designed to slow the probe, prosecutors have said. When it comes to changing the culture at Michigan State, there is even more complete failure. Once again, Matt Kelly, writing in his Radical Compliance blog, said the university's efforts to obscure any compliance function, basically make it a non-functioning entity. English said that ethics and compliance office would go away, swallowed into an office of audit, risk, and compliance earlier this year. What does that tell you about Michigan State's commitment to ethics? Unfortunately, it tells you everything you need to know. Kozlowski wrote again in the Detroit News after the latest comments by Engler that MSU trustees had the votes to fire Engler, yet they had not done so previously. It took all of this for Engler to resign. And even after the resignation, Engler cited the accomplishments he had engaged in while president of Michigan State. I hope you will enjoy, I hope you've enjoyed this part two of my special presentation of Shakespeare's Problem Place. And I hope you'll join me tomorrow for episode three, where we take a look at measure for measure and creating a game plan in compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Bard in Compliance, Shakespeare's Problem Plays. 
Once again, this is based on a series of lectures I listened to on Shakespeare from the Teaching Company and other research I did on these plays. Thank you again for listening. I hope you'll join me tomorrow for another episode. This special series of The Bard and Compliance, Shakespeare's Problem Plays, is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.